I have two brothers, an older brother and a younger brother. I am a middle child. And my two older brothers, my two brothers, both the oldest and the youngest, they care about one thing in life. One thing. If you want to be focused in life and have a life that matters and counts, focus on one thing. They live, eat, breathe, do what they do, go to work in order for one thing to happen in their lives. You know what that one thing is? Fishing. Thank you. Someone knows Cliff or Ed. Fishing. They live to fish. That's the one thing that they do. And here's what else they've done. They have wasted not hours, not days, months, years of their lives debating as to why I don't like to fish. <laughs> one of my favorite things to do is to listen to them talk about fish and try to figure out what fish are thinking during different times of the year or different types of fish. I kid you not. I kid you not. But a few years ago, for some reason, I got a phone call from my brother and he kind of threw out something he's thrown out to me for many, many years. Hey, Ben, you want to go fishing? And I just kind of felt like messing with him. I said, yeah, I do. I'll go. Where, where are we going to go? What are we going to fish for? He goes, oh, look, we're going to go out into Florida, and uh, I'm, I'm going to hook you up with my guide, and we're going to go out kind of deep sea fishing. Okay? So we got in the boat, me, Ed, and this guide. We go out there. And this guide, he is amazing. He's like a magician. So he's like, okay, the first thing I want to try to catch are sailfish. So we get on the boat, and he takes this contraption out of the back of the boat. It looks like a Christmas tree with kind of silver ornaments, and he throws it out behind the boat. Then he throws out a line behind it with a silver lure on it, and I kid you not, in 20 minutes, boom, they hook that thing, give the rod and reel to me, and I, and I reel in a sailfish. We get the sailfish, he goes, okay, why don't we try to catch a tuna? All right, catch a tuna. He gets a different reel, different lure, throws it out there. Boom, we get it out there. We wait and wait. Smack! They, they, it's funny, it's like I'm three years old. They get the fish on the line, then they give the rod and reel to me, and I reel it in. He goes, hey, I got an idea. I'm going to take the tuna and put it on this ginormous hook and throw it out over the boat. And we're going to catch, we're going to catch a shark. I said, all right, why not? I never go fishing. Lo and behold, a few minutes later, bam, something hits it. Takes that thing out. <laughs> they get it, set the hook, give it to me, and listen. It was like I was trying to reel in a refrigerator <laughs> or, or a Honda, you know, a, a minivan. It's just, it was just dead weight. We pull that sap sucker into the boat. It was an 11 foot long hammerhead shark. Yeah. Here's what was amazing about that experience. And, and my brother's thinking, hey, hey, do you like to go fishing? No, you want to go fishing? No. I still don't want to fish. But what was amazing was the guide, the guide knew exactly the type of lure or bait or fish that would catch that specific 
kind of fish. It was like magic because some of you go fishing, right? Throw it out there and catch a fish, right? But he was specific. He knew the specific lure, the specific bait to catch a specific kind of fish. And one of the reasons I don't fish, by the way, is because I'm, I'm spiritual. And I've told my brothers this time and time again, I can't go out for hours on end and lie. That's what fishing is, right? You're lying. You're deceiving the poor fish. So here's the deal. We all are like those fish swimming in the ocean. Our ocean is our, our jobs, our ocean, or our relationships, our family, our friends. And we are swimming around. And many times, all of us reach after something shiny, something we think that's real. We take it, and then we get hooked. We get hooked because we bought into something we thought was real, but it was actually a lie. One of the most prolific liars of all time was the propaganda mastermind behind Nazi Germany, Joseph Goebbels. And Goebbels said this. He said, if you tell a lie big enough and keep repeating it, people will eventually come to believe it. That's what the enemy does to you and to me. All the time. Tells us lies, lies. Lies, a little bit of truth, lie, lie, a little bit of truth, lie, lie. And we go after whatever it is, and then we realize we're hooked and we're caught in a lie. We're hooked. Now, the good news is God tells us a lot in his word about getting hooked to lies and getting unhooked, getting set free. So if you have a Bible with you today, open it to the book of John. John is the fourth book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, then I put a Bible on the screen for you right in front of you, right behind me. So John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus is talking to a bunch of religious leaders. And Jesus, you know, sometimes is painted in our culture as some type of mamsy-pamsy, kind of hippie kind of guy who is really nice and sweet. Many times Jesus is much more like a college football coach, grabbing people by the cage, confronting them, trying to wake them up to the reality that they are hooked. And the people that he really got in their grill the most were religious leaders, which is not good for me, right? So here's what he says about being hooked to lies. And where's the source of those lies? He says, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language. That's his language. Lying. He's a liar. He's the father of lies. So we started in Genesis last week. We looked at Adam and Eve. They're in this idyllic paradise, this perfect place. They know 
why they're on planet Earth. They understand their purpose and their meaning for life. They're not searching, wondering. They're not floating up to Colorado or Europe trying to find themselves. They know who they are. They have this perfect relationship, perfect marriage, perfect communication. Everything, as we say in Texas, is hunky-dory. Until... Did God really say that? Did he really say you can't have that? They start listening to the lies. They start listening to the father of lies. And like you and like me, they reach out and they grab that lie. They don't think it's a lie. They think it's true. They think that they can become like God and then their life it's almost destroyed because they bought into the lie. Jesus Christ is now talking to these religious leaders. He's saying, listen, you've bought into a lie and don't even know it. You're hooked and don't even know it. But the father of lies is alive and well in our world today. And, and they're, they're different kind of lies. Like it said, like Christ said in scripture, lying is his language that's his native tongue you know what do you speak i speak english and spanish what do you speak well i speak portuguese and i speak you know farsi or something devil what do you speak lying do you speak any other languages are you an american you just speak one language oh no yeah i'm kind of an american lying lying and lying that's all i speak they're cultural lies Cultural lies are lies that have been embedded in our culture, in the world we live in, and Western civilization that have been around for centuries. We've embedded those lies and we don't even know it. The biggest cultural lie really started way back when in the 1600s with Rene Descartes, when Descartes said, I, you know, we're no longer going to be, believe that God or ultimate reality is outside of us. I am ultimate reality. I think, therefore I am. And we've moved in our world to I think, therefore I am, to I feel, therefore I am, to I am a sexual being, therefore I am, and I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. Me, I, my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions, my gender, my this, and that is a cultural lie that's been around for a long, long time. There are also... To get closer, they're marital lies. Marital lies. Talking to someone this week, I would consider an expert in, in marriage and relationships. He said the common lie in marriage is one is the famous Tom Cruise, Renee Zellweger lie. You complete me. You complete me. Sounds good, it's romantic, still brings a tear to my eye, but it's not true. It's, it's not true. What's another marital lie? If only you, fill in the blank, if only you would listen more, if only you 
would go here, if only you would buy this, if only you would move, if only you, fill in the blank. And then it's always your fault. It's always your fault. Always your fault. Always your fault. Maximize and minimize. Marital life. Their personal lives. Personal lives. You're trying to do the right thing. You're trying to live a good life. You're trying to listen to God. You're praying and things are not working. And you begin to wonder, does, does God really care? Does God really care? If God cared, surely he would answer my prayer. I'm praying, I'm believing, I'm trusting other people, but God's not answering my prayer. Does God really care? You start believing that lie. He doesn't care. And maybe you even go further with that and say, no, not only does he not care, maybe God's not even there. Maybe he's not there. You get hooked. Hooked by that lie. Cultural lie, me, 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 I, 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 my emotions, my feelings, my life, marital lie, personal lie about God. The father of lies. The enemy wants to lie to you again and again and again. The big lie, as Goebel said, but also small lies and subtle lies. Maybe say, hey, listen, I, I don't want to live in a lie. Who does, right? I, I don't want to live in a lie. Perhaps you're saying, man, I'm hooked. I, I'm hooked on one of these lies. I've been living a lie or we've been living a lie and I want to be set free. What, what do we do? What do we do? Well, when I was in, in high school, I was involved in a youth group at a church. How many of you are involved in a youth group or maybe in a youth group now? Raise your hand. A lot of not everybody, but a good number of people were in youth group. Well, I, when I was in youth group, um, there was a, a, a guy. This is back in the late 70s, all right? And back in the late 70s, there were these uh, cults in the land. There were two really big cults. There were the Hare Krishnas. Do you remember the Hare Krishnas? They would wear orange and shave their head and go, Hare Krishna, Hare, Hare Krishna. You'd see them at the airports and places like that, right? Yes, okay. And the other type of cult massive cult was called the Moonies, the Unification Church, the Moonies. And the Moonies, one of the things they would do that was really kind of interesting, because Sun Young Moon, the leader, thought he was like Jesus Christ or something like that. Most of them do. And, which I didn't know Christ was Korean, but maybe he is. So um, he would do these massive marriages. So he would, he would go to MSG, Madison Square Garden in New York. They would have thousands of people there who had never met one another, and he would perform a marriage and marry thousands of people there. So if your dating situation is not working out, you might want to consider becoming a Mooney if you really want to get married that badly. Just kidding, don't. But when I was in youth group, back to my story, meanwhile, back to youth group story, there was a guy who was one of my leaders in the Bible study classes, uh, youth group, he was named Terry. He was from California. And I thought that was from California. was cool. I thought, this is cool. He's from Ca California. Then I found out he used to be in a cult. Oh, that's interesting. I've never known anybody that's been in a cult before. He was a Mooney. Somehow he got out of the Moonies. I don't know how. 
and he gave his, his life and his heart to Jesus Christ. God radically changed his life. Somehow he ended up in Texas. And when, but when he got out of the Moonies for a while, I don't know how many couple of years, he became what's known as a cult napper and a deprogrammer, which it may be illegal now. In other words, he would hire some guys, some big old guys, you know, strong guys, go in, get hired by their family. You go in and kidnap someone from a cult, from the Hare Krishna or the Moonies or whatever, and then they would take them to an isolated place for days, and then they would, you know, try to tell them, this is a lie, this is truth. And I thought about um, cults and deprogrammers, and I don't know, I'm just kind of fascinated with cults. You know, I, I like to watch documentaries. I'm always watching about some cult and what they're doing and all that craziness. I don't know, it's just, it's what I like to do. So, but I thought about this in light of, of this message here this morning in light of being hooked by a lie. Because think about it, when you've joined a cult, you're a true believer, right? I mean, you've left your mom, you've left your dad, you've left money, you've left your culture, you've left your religion, you've left school, you've left everything to live on some small farm in Oregon or something and worship some lady or some guy who claims to be God or an alien, right? You're full in. I mean, you don't have a lie that's hooked, you know, in the mouth like that. I mean, that lie's gone down the throat. It's in your heart and going towards your stomach. Deep, deep lie. So I thought about how my friend Terry got people out of that lie. How did he deprogram them? Because if we can learn how to get out of a deep lie, perhaps the other lies we're involved in will help us out. So I thought about it. Isolating them, getting away from the environment where all the lies were, yeah, that's important. Tell them, hey, this is a lie, that's important. This is the truth, that's important. But I think the most important thing that Terry and other people like him are able to do is they're able to say to someone who's been caught in a deep lie, listen, I believe the same lie you did. I was hooked and this is what I've done to get set free. And as I've lived my little life, that's what I've discovered. That's what I've seen. Not every time, but most of the time, if you're hooked in some kind of lie, be it a cultural lie, a marital lie, a personal lie, one of the best ways to get set free is to find someone who used to be hook, hooked and find out how they were set free. That's how it works. So Jesus, in the rest of this chapter, in John 8, let's go back to the Bible, talks about that. He's going to lay down a pretty famous verse. It's the verse that people who don't even come to church or know the Bible know. But here's what he says. To the Jews who believed in him, Jesus said, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. And the word disciple, by the way, means learner. You're my learners, my followers. Verse 32, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you, the truth will set you free. Yeah, the truth will set you free. The infinite enters into the finite. The logos, the reason, becomes flesh. 
truth, capital T, becomes a person. Jesus says, you shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Then in John 14, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then John in John chapter 1, reflecting on Christ, said, yes, we have seen what he's done in our life. The, the, the word has become flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. So how do we get set free? How do we get unhooked from whatever lie we're believing in? Grace and truth. Grace and truth. God comes to earth. Truth comes to earth. Christ goes to the cross. Christ is resurrected so that we could be forgiven, so that we could enter into a new relationship with God. That's grace. That's mercy. And then truth is us lining up our minds and our life with the reality of who he is. That's us living it out. And when we do that, that is when we're set free. Grace and truth. Yes. That's what I call a, a golf clap. Very, very golf clap. But I'll take it, right? I'll take it. I'm desperate. The gospel is good news. Satan speaks one language. Satan has one thing in mind to trick you and to trick me to get us hooked. God comes on the scene in his son. God comes on the scene in his word. God comes on the scene when we gather together as a church so that we can learn how to be free, how to be set free. And we're set free when we start internalizing and living out the grace and truth of who Christ is. Trust in the God of truth and he will set you free. Find people who were hooked on whatever you were hooked on, find out how they got free and you'll be set free. The most influential person in the history of Christianity was hooked for at least nine years. Nine years he was searching in cult-like beliefs and ideas. Nine years he, he was living with this girl, his girlfriend. They had a kid out of wedlock. Nine years until something hit this guy and he started to pick up and read God's word in Romans chapter 13 and towards the end or the beginning of the fourth century and a light bulb went off in his mind and Augustine turned his heart and life over to God in Christ and changed the world. He wrote those iconic lines in the confessions, our hearts are restless, hooked, until we find our peace in God. Augustine, 
the most influential Christian. Listen, there have been billions of Christians since 33 AD. Augustine, most influential in the Orthodox, Catholic, and Protestant traditions. But he was hooked. He was hooked until God set him free. And when God set him free, he appropriated grace and truth. Augustine changed the world. When I was a young kid, a guy came to our church. His name was Rick Carino. Rick Carino was a member of a notorious motorcycle gang called the Hell's Angels. To get into the Hell's Angels, not to gross you out, which means you're about to be grossed out. To get into the Hell's Angels, one of the things that Rick Carino had to do was to eat an entire dead cat. See, it's almost noon. You're not hungry now. Okay. He had to do that. So he's with this gang, the Hells Angels, notorious gang, demonic gang, obviously by the name, Hells Angels. And so he's running with them. They're crazy. They're wild. He gets hooked on heroin. He's hooked. One time he ODs. His buddies in the gang think he's dead. They take his body, throw him in a dumpster behind a building. Rick's dead. Somebody happened to come by that dumpster, sees his body in there, looks, realizes he's breathing, gets him out, finds a place for him. Eventually someone shares Christ with Rick. He gets saved, and then Billy Graham finds out about it, and he goes around the world talking to tens of thousands of people about how he got unhooked, how he was dead, but he's now alive. I think about my friend Lee. Lee was in a horrible marriage. His life was going nowhere. He was working as a reporter for the Chicago Trib. He did not believe in God, that God was there, much less that God cared. Eventually, he came to church. He gave his life to God in Christ. And eventually, Lee went on to write a couple of books that sold millions of copies, The Case for Faith, The Case for Christ. But for years, he was hooked on the lie that there was no God. And when God set him free, Lee changed the world, and God radically changed his life and his marriage. You shall know the truth, and the truth, the grace and truth, shall set you free. And when the Son is set free, that person is free indeed.